0: Informing
1: America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host,
2: Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for tuning in to us here on this Friday, December 31st. It is hard to believe that 2021 is coming to an end. Tonight we are looking down the barrel of a new year and as we get ready to turn the calendar over to a new year, of course, it's pretty common for industries and people to reflect back on the last year and think about how everything's changed and what they've built over time. It's a great part of year to sort of benchmark where you are as a person and the renewable fuels association did just that celebrated 40 years in 2021 we'll talk about what the next 40 years might look like for rfa with robert white here in a second and then in segment two kyle mcmahon of tractor zoom is going to join me to talk about the hot auction market for used machinery and then we're going to get an update from Corey Milby. He's an agribusiness consultant down in Brazil. We've heard a lot about the drought. He's going to fill us in just how it looks on the ground down there throughout Brazil. And finally, we're going to end today's show talking with Chad Colby. Chad is a tech enthusiast. And he's been keeping an eye on all the drones that are out there. And he's going to be going to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show next week. He'll give us an update on that at the end of the show. But first, Robert White joins me. Robert, thanks for taking the time to talk to us here on this New Year's Eve.
3: No problem. Thanks for the invitation.
2: Let's talk about RFA, celebrated 40 years in 2021. Robert, that is pretty incredible. And this last year in particular has been a wild one for ethanol. How are you feeling as an organization as you look out here to the future?
3: Well, as everyone knows, all the listeners of this show in particular know that the last few years have been very problematic for the ethanol industry, uh, mostly around the lack of enforcement of the renewable fuel standard. And the you know blanket approach of approving small refiner exemptions. So when the new administration came in, it was our chance to try and reset some of that. Uh, we'd won a court case last year that set up that conversation quite well, and you know it's been one of those years that there's been a lot of ups and downs. But I think we're finally starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel uh, with some of the proposed renewable volume obligations for the coming years. Granted, there's some. There's some bad stuff in that proposal as well, but we are excited about this upcoming opportunity to get the RFS back on track and then turn ethanol.
2: Yeah, that's the truth. The other concern I've heard a lot about, of course, in ethanol, Trump administration gave us E15 year round that has since been repealed. Robert, as you look out to this next year, is there a roadmap that might allow us to get E15 year round again?
3: There is, Mike, I don't know if it's going to make it happen for 2022, to be honest. And I think that's, uh, you know, something that everyone needs to be cognizant of and and understanding that no matter what approach ultimately is is used, and we're trying to use all of them, whether it's regulatory, legislative, uh, working with individual states on their individual fuel opportunities and how they can opt out of some provisions under EPA uh, oversight. Uh, but you know, 2022 for the the terminals that provide to gas stations, that really has to be done by April 1st. And so we're we're definitely running out of time for 2022. That does not mean we're we're letting off the pedal and and not pursuing every opportunity there is. But I think it's also important to note that the the EP E15 overruling of that waiver approval only was for conventional fuel markets. Now, granted, that's about 70% of the fuel market, but all of the RFG markets the reformulated gasoline markets that are the larger population centers. California, were getting closer to E15 approval. And then there were several states that are looking at doing their own thing on volatility. If all of those come to fruition, that would be half of our nation's fuel. So there's some big opportunity yet to be had even without that uh, approval.
2: So I I didn't realize this. So the states can go ahead and mandate E15 year round. I suppose it's like we've seen in in Minnesota and that dodges the EPA's ruling.
3: Well, they could do that. But what we're talking about here is basically saying we are opting out of the EPA fuel oversight and we are going to eliminate the one pound waiver for E10. So it would, again, put E10 and E15 on the same uh, playing field. And actually, it would cause the refiners to have to lower the volatility of their fuel for those states. And we saw eight states, basically the Midwest block, uh, petition EPA and say, hey, what do we need to do to opt out of this? And then more recently, the RFA has asked the EPA uh, to do that nationwide. So there's, there's a lot of things in play right now, all with the same end game of grinding more corn and producing more ethanol.
2: That is the name of the game, Robert. Uh, You know, we got really excited here about this infrastructure bill. When it passed, there was some money finally included for ethanol and uh, excuse me, not the infrastructure bill. That was the the USDA ruling we had just a few weeks ago. There was some money for uh, fuel retailers to apply and get some grants to add that blending infrastructure. I know you're well connected with fuel retailers. Is is there excitement about adding additional blends or do we need E15 solved before they're willing to make that investment?
3: Well, I think it's a mixed bag. It depends on the company. Some some that are already neck deep into E fifteen, it's not a you know quite as big a leap. Uh, but for folks that haven't ventured into E fifteen at all, you know, maybe it's a wait and see. But the good thing about all of the fuel retailer infrastructure is that you may buy it for E fifteen, you may buy it for E eighty five, but at the end of the day, five years, ten years, fifteen years down the road. It can sell any other liquid fuel as well. So I, I think what they're, most of them are optimistic that E15 approval will come if they're not in the market that already approves it. And on top of that, they know that the infrastructure will be useful with or without ethanol in the long term. That said, I think that the, we're continuing to see expansion in E15 and E85. E15 in particular in some stations is replacing E10. So E15 is becoming the regular the mid-grade, and they're offering E10 as a premium. So it's it's kind of an exciting time to see how uh, these smart fuel retailers and marketers play the game, uh, add in and increase their margin while lowering the price of the pump for consumers, which is obviously a hot topic nowadays.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. And Robert, when we think about reaching those consumers, I know RFA and the ethanol industry as a whole has been doing a great job telling the story of ethanol. This is functional in every single engine you've got out there. I know you've been doing some work in with boaters. Can you talk about where you see that marketing headed in 2022? Are there new segments of the population you wanna to try to expose to ethanol?
3: Yeah, and we're really usually focused on the squeaky wheels, right? So the marine industry, motorcycles, small engines, those types of things. They really don't consume a lot of fuel in the grand scheme of things, about 3% of the total fuel consumption. But what's important is everyone that owns one of those products owns the cars and trucks and SUVs and do use the other 97%. And typically, those 3% are the their toys, right? They're most expensive. They're prized possessions. So if we can convince them that ethanol is good and safe to use and, in fact, better for the environment and all the other good stories that are out there for on ethanol, the benefits, then they will definitely put it in their vehicles that are a lot more forgiving.
2: That makes sense. Robert, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And as always, we wish you and the ethanol industry the best as we turn the page to a new year.
3: Thank you, sir. Happy New Year.
2: And folks, stick around when AOA returns. Kyle McMahon, CEO of Tractor Zoom, is going to join me to talk about the activity they've seen in the used machinery auction place. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of
4: America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. They're award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPM.com today. Oh, nice
2: engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen?
0: Check, check, and check.
4: Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies.
0: So when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil, is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station.
5: Vision loss is not something that you feel until
6: it happens. Most people
2: This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around
4: the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed,
2: AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Thanks for joining us today on this last working day of the year. Well, last day of the year, period. 2021 is going to be remembered for a lot of different things. A lot of markets went nuts this past year. One of those was used equipment prices. Well, both new and used, of course, went nuts, but that auction market has been hot. I figured we should end this year by taking a look at some of the trends that developed in the final six months of 2021. And to help us do that, Kyle McMahon, the CEO and founder of Tractor Zoom and Iron Comps, is with us. Kyle, whew, you guys have probably had your hands full over the past six months with all this activity
8: yeah, it's uh, machinery prices are changing every day. Inventory levels are uh, pretty volatile, but I, I think the supply and demand has been pretty fun to track throughout the year.
2: yeah, it certainly has. let's Let's talk about what you've been tracking. As you look at machinery sales broadly across the country over this past year, Kyle, what were some of the hottest categories you guys were tracking?
8: Yeah, we tracked uh, we tracked over four thousand auctions this year from over five hundred auction companies. And some of the biggest trends that we saw throughout all of that, I think it was a little over $2 billion in transaction volume, just in farm equipment here in the United States. And uh, a lot of really interesting trends coming, coming uh, throughout 2021. I'd say some of the highlights are row crop tractors, Uh, good quality row crop tractors are up 36% year over year. So just for what they're selling for in December of 2020, to 2021 20, and they're up 36 percent. Combines are up 30 percent and, and inventory has always been down. So I'm sure uh, a lot of listeners have buy uh, by dealer store lots and uh, there's just not a lot of inventory there. Also happens to be not a lot of inventory uh, at auction either. We're, we're entering at a, a time that we call asset accumulation, which basically means people are buying more equipment than they really need because they're fearful of not being able to uh, get repaired when, it when it needs timely. Um, there's a lot of OEM supply chain issues. And so people want to make sure that when they're ready to roll or, or the crops ready to be put in or taken out that, uh, that they want to make sure they have that working piece of machinery.
2: That makes sense. And Kyle, you mentioned row crop tractors up 36% December to December. In your tracking, d- do you notice a difference in the higher horsepower, the over 300 horsepower tractors versus the lower is Either more hot in 2021.
8: Yeah, and in times of prosperity in agriculture, you always see farmers uh, pay up more for more horsepower. Uh, the the old saying of a thousand dollars per horsepower um, uh, is is has always been kind of the going rate right on really new equipment. Um, but we're seeing that gap widen with higher horsepower. This is that time where people are able to upgrade that four wheel drive, especially when the machine has tracks um or some i'd call uh some uh, nice to have features tracks premium cabs you start to see bigger premiums being paid because farmers have cash this is really high net farm income year and so people are paying for a lot of more luxurious items on the equipment um that that we continue to see and you know brand new equipment prices are up uh 10 15 in some cases even higher uh, percent over last year's model year. So that continues to drag the, uh, the used market with it. When people get a little sticker shop, maybe buying new, um, then there's a lot of competition in the used market. Uh, and so row crop tractors and combines have always been things that we continue to track. And late, low hour, late model has been a um, a, a huge trend upward.
2: Kyle, when I think about auctions, obviously geography matters, both both where the auction is being held and, you know, how far can the buyers come in? Geographically speaking, are there any parts of the country that are hotter than others right now?
8: You know, if you'd asked me that question three years ago, we could have uh, really honed in on where it was hotter than, than another. But because we have such low inventory, we're seeing... Um, the uh those prices being very strong across the entire country naturally when you get into uh road crop country uh where where people usually store i just call that the midwest you see a little bit stronger prices um for that same three hour hour machine um let's say in the midwest in iowa versus maybe florida and that's just for geography purposes but since covid a lot of the auctions have actually gone to online bidding and that has forced buyers to recognize the ability to buy sight unseen across the country and ship it in for a couple thousand bucks.
2: Interesting. Now, as you look out to this next year, seeing the same kind of trends in place, obviously we're, we've still got decent cash reserves on the farm. We've got you know some opportunity and those OEM issues are still there on the horizon. How do you expect this market to react once we get to the start of the new year and folks maybe don't need to spend money to lessen their tax burden?
8: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, because when we looked at November to November 2020 to 2021 uh, row crop tractors, the same data set we used for that 36 uh, percent price increase that we've seen in November to November, prices were only up 27 percent. Then we gained another nine percent in December alone. And we believe it's specifically because of high net farm income and, and farmers wanted to leverage uh, bonus appreciation going to the end of the year. Everybody knows December is the biggest uh, machinery buying season. As we turn into the next year, we honestly do not believe that uh, this market is going to give up uh, much of the, the gains it's had over the last couple of quarters, specifically because farmers are still hungry for new technology. We as farmers are now faced with higher input costs. and Everybody knows how high uh, anhydrous and fertilizer is. Um, but then you start to look across the entire scheme of, of uh, price. Uh, commodity price is up quite a bit. But also our inputs are up quite a bit so it goes back to the similar mentality of a farmer that we believe is they want to buy the best technology that they can afford uh, on their farm to uh, either retain yield or improve yield and naturally that comes down to profitability and um, most farmers see the benefit of of upgrading newer technology um, and, and some of this equipment so we continue to see that strong demand carrying over into 2022 um and don't really see that lightening up and again it comes back down to net farm income expectations in 2022 they're still good to be going to be profitable and they may have missed out on a lot of the opportunities to buy equipment in 2021 um maybe had sticker shock and quit bidding at 200 and then saw that same tractor bring 270 and their job was just on the floor right yeah so so that's that's still still going to carry over into strength into 2022
2: Kyle, you mentioned these higher input prices have of, uh, I think every farmer I've talked to concerned about this next year. And that makes me wonder is precision planting equipment or or uh, smart AG technology taking off at the auction level too? Or are most folks still going new for that kind of technology?
8: No, that's good. We see a lot of retrofit kits as we call them internally. It's, it's a lot of people buying old planter bars and retrofitting them to uh, much more modern technology. And that's one way that they think that they can get around having to spend uh, a lot, a lot of money on a brand new piece of iron. And that's just the way they operate. They're willing to work on things themselves versus wanting to uh, buy that brand new. But yeah, we see a lot of people still doing that.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, with the number of auctions that have been held just over the past six months since I've been paying attention, there have been some decent opportunities to buy. Do you see the number of auctions staying strong here in the first quarter of
8: 2022? Yeah. Uh, when we look at vol- auction volume, going into the, be- the first quarter of 2020 was actually down compared to 2019. So as we, uh, excuse me, 20, yeah, 2021 to 2020. Now we go into 2022, we're still seeing um, a, a good number of sales on the book. So we think it'll still be on the lighter side. We're definitely not gonna be oversupplying markets uh, based on that asset accumulation that we were talking about earlier. People are buying that second combine when they don't quite need it, but they don't want to break down and then they can't get parts uh, or or whatever it might be to slow them down and naturally reduce yield and uh, keep them out of the field. So we're still seeing a lot of a good number of retirement sales, right? There's a lot of farmers out there saying, you know what? I had a record year in 2021. Machinery prices are an all-time high. When I retire, I'm going to keep my land and cash rent it to somebody in the neighborhood. Uh, but go ahead and get rid of the machinery today. So I'm going to, t- I'm going to capitalize on 30 to 35 percent higher equipment prices this year on a million bucks of, of machinery. That's, you know, three hundred thousand dollars uh, that, that they can put into their little retirement fund.
2: Yeah. And that's real money. Three hundred grand. Kyle, for folks that are curious about maybe buying a tractor here in the next quarter, Tractor Zoom is a way to just kind of help them zero right in on that particular model, isn't it?
8: Yeah, yeah. If if anybody's looking for equipment at auction uh, or at, at the, the dealer stores, you can simply go to tractorzoom.com. So uh, it always helps keep uh, giving our uh, a farmer an edge in the market, especially in low supply times like today. You don't want to miss out on uh, that new piece of machinery coming up for sale that fits your needs.
2: That's right. When it's there, buy when you can, not when you have to. Kyle McMahon of Tractor Zoom, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
8: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike.
2: And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we'll be talking to Corey Milby from Brazil. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
5: You are listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Export sales were lousy for wheat this week, with little threatening. The world wheat supply right now, there is not much encouraging buyers. The weather forecast shows plenty of precipitation in the eastern part of the winter wheat belt and some sneaking into areas of Kansas. Most of the hard red winter wheat is still expected to be dry, however. Snow mix and rain are forecast across much of the country today and tonight. Midwest, Mid-South and Ohio River Valley regions have severe weather watches. Brazil has widespread rain in their 4 to 7 day forecast including dry southern Brazil. The amount of rain that actually falls in southern Brazil will influence markets next week. On the board of trade this morning, March corn trading a penny and a half cent higher at 5.97 and a half cent, the May contract up a penny and 3 quarters at 5.98 and a half cent. For soybeans, the January contract trading 8 cents higher. At thirteen thirty five and three quarters, the March contract up nine and a fraction at thirteen forty seven and three quarters. Ford Wheat's Chicago Wheat March down six at seven hundred seventy three and three quarters, Kansas City Wheat March down three and a half cent at eight oh nine and a half cent. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March up a fraction at nine ninety one and three quarters. The May contract up three quarters of a cent at nine eighty five and three quarters. The cash cattle market is quiet as no bids have been renewed. Given that cattle have traded in both the north and the south, it is likely that this week's business is done. But some trade could shake loose in the south as packers and feedlots have been in a standoff throughout most of the week. For livestock on the Board of Trade, the February contract down forty at one thirty-nine fifty-seven, April down thirty at one forty four fifty seven. For feeder cattle, January down thirty seven at one sixty-five ninety-five. The March contract down a nickel at one. Sixty-eight ninety-five for lean hogs. The February contract trading twenty-seven cents higher at eighty-two ninety-seven. The April contract up twenty-five at eighty-eight zero-seven. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall.
0: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes Purple Packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson.
2: Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
4: Information farmers and ranchers
2: need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. We have been talking for the past week. Really, we've had an international focus here on the show. That's where a lot of the excitement has been during this week between the holidays. We're going to keep that international focus going today. Corey Melby, agribusiness advisor and consultant in Brazil, joins us here. Corey, Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. We've been talking a lot about the drought in Brazil, but you've got some other issues, namely rainfall in the northern parts, really driving some concern. How do things look down there right now?
9: For the most part, uh, 70% of the Brazil soybean crop is just fine. Uh, Normal to above normal rainfall Uh, in the northeastern quadrant, uh, western Bahia, Tocantins, PoE, Maranhão. They've had some exceptionally historic large rainfalls the past uh, two weeks, which is causing some concern. Uh, I think the crop is fine so far because that crop is planted a bit later than than Mato Grosso and Paraná. But if this would continue, uh, there will be some uh, concern about disease issues, inability to get fungicides on in a timely manner, and possibly rotten pods. Uh, we're not there yet, but it's right around the corner.
2: And that rainfall has been really epic. I mean, to, to use a word that's a bit overplayed, but it, but it actually fits in this scenario.
9: In my 20 year, you know, experience in Brazil, uh, that whole quadrant is known for it's dry pattern. Think of West Texas. Um, it's really rare for them to have above normal rainfall so when above normal rainfall comes generally the crop in that area uh especially in the growth phase will suck it up with with glee uh it, it it's a positive because they usually suffer for rain but there's a limit to that also as we go forward
2: and you mentioned that dryness down in the southern part of brazil core you talked to growers all across the country how bad is that drought as we sit here right now at the end of 2021
9: the uh Western half of Paraná state is probably in the worst condition. Um, you know, harvest has started uh, by Foz de Iguaçu, where the big waterfalls is, and uh, you know, I'm hearing reports of six, seven, eight bushel per acre soybeans of these first beans. Well, that's mm-hmm. obviously terrible. Um, you know the, the west half of Paraná is 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 hurting. Uh, they they've got 50, 60, 70 percent losses. Um, that stretches into Paraguay, also in dire need of rain. Uh, a, a good portion of Rio Grande do Sul, but they plant later, so they still have some time. And this stretches down into Uruguay and and northern Argentina, also. So uh, for Brazil itself, it's a it's a nominal problem. But if you add up everything I've just said, these different regions, uh, that's what the market has been responding to the past two, three weeks here. It, it's the cumulative total loss. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. It's a lot of little losses spread across the country. Corey, you mentioned that uh, those potted yields being sub 10 bushels per acre. In a regular weather year, what would you expect those fields to be producing for
9: soybeans? It's a fantastic area, old area. Uh, you know, it's been farmed for 50, 60 years. Uh, they're, they're, any yield below 60 bushel per acre, they, 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 they talk about losses, how bad the crop is. They expect 70 and 80 bushel beans. Uh, that's what the area is known for. That's what they fertilize and, and expect. And for them to come in at uh, 10, 12 bushel here, uh, obviously it's crop insurance uh, related stuff here. Mm-hmm.
2: Certainly, certainly. And, you know, when we think about Brazilian agriculture, that corn soybean rotation, you had some comments out a few days ago, that reminded me of something that I, I, is always hard for me to get my head around, which is the cost to raise soybeans in Brazil are higher than the cost to raise corn. What is it that makes beans more uh, cost intensive down there?
9: Uh, it's the poorer soils that uh, and highly acidic soils, Uh, Obviously, a lot of lime, a lot of uh, a lot of calcium is needed to balance that and they end up putting on uh, 400 to 500 pounds per acre per year of uh, zero 2020 very phosphate and potash intensive. So, you know, in essence, Brazil fertilizes their soybeans, like a US farmer fertilizes his corn, including N, of course. So um, they, they really pour the coals to the soybean crop and then all the second crop corn really needs is a splash of urea. Uh, the corn lives off the residual of the soy, uh, so the, the, the corn crop can actually be quite profitable, especially at the elevated prices uh, that we <laughs> see in Brazil.
2: Well, and so let's talk about those elevated prices. When, when we think about the price levels here, we're, we're kicking around $6 in uh, in old crop corn. At, what did those cash prices look like down in Brazil with the currency exchange difference?
9: Spot corn uh, internal Brazil at the moment is about $7.50, uh, which, of course, makes Argentine imports very attractive. Um, Basically, wheat, uh, wheat and, and, and corn are the same price in, 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 in Brazil. So it, it tends to lead towards corn uh, planting. Um, two factors created that. One was the FX, the currency exchange blowout uh, back in um, March of, of 2020 at the onset of COVID. Uh, the currency went from four to one to six to one, in in a few weeks, hmm. and that just you know blew out any any historical norms for the corn market. Uh, it should have corrected by now, but because of the second crop drought last year, early in in twenty uh, twenty one, uh, and now with a first crop failure in Rio Grande do Sul, all of these three factors come together and create a tremendous demand for domestic corn, uh, combined with corn ethanol, of course, in, 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 in Brazil, uh, you've got new demand, uh, record production of, of animal units in, in Brazil at the moment, um, and lack of production, it's the perfect storm for high corn prices.
2: It is. And, you know, I think about the last couple of years of corn, ethanol is fairly new to Brazil. Does this massive price spike internally in the country kind of put a hold on any future ethanol expansion, at least in the short term?
9: No uh, returns uh, on these ethanol mills, even with expensive corn, um, internal rate of returns are are in the 50 to 60 percent yet, even with these elevated corn prices out in Mato Grosso. Again, um, at least that's where we're at today. That could change in six months. But because of the blowout in the FX currency exchange, um, that also means that domestic gasoline has increased in price also, along with following the crude oil price uh, globally. So basically, the ethanol price and DDG price, because of the need for feed, and and energy because these mills produce electricity also, which has been needed. These three factors come together and are making the corn ethanol uh, business very attractive. They're they're profitable at these higher corn prices, which was unthinkable three years ago, of course. Uh, There are many new projects in the wings, either plants being built as we speak or projects being announced uh, regularly. There are more online. Mm -hmm.
2: All right, it's going to continue to grow down there. One of the concerns we've been talking about a lot up here in North America as we look ahead to this next planting season is securing inputs. In Brazil, I imagine growers have been facing the same challenge. How have they been addressing the supply chain disruptions?
9: For the second crop, which will start to go in now in January and February, there are some concerns of lack of inputs. That could be glyphosate, that could be urea. other things also, but I think they're going to arrive just in time basically for the current year we're in. 2023 is another issue, that's a nightmare ahead. We need to keep in mind that the interior part of Brazil, Mato Grosso, the the larger dynamic farms are always thinking a year ahead. So as soon as the soybean crop is harvested in, in January, February, basically march 31 is the end of their let's call it their fiscal year that's when rent is paid and all the bills get paid from the year prior so in that march april time frame they're booking and or buying all the inputs for the future the the, the coming crop cycle which starts in september october so for this past year the brazilian farmer was well-placed, they had their fertilizer book, they had it on hand, they had their seeds. They're more worried about what's going to happen for 2023. The year they're in right now looks like record profitability. They're, for those guys that harvest a nice soybean crop and corn crop, they're, they're in the chips. There's, there's that, it's a fantastic year uh, ahead of us, but they all realize the profit that they're about to make could all be spent very quickly getting ready for 2023. That's what's driving them crazy. Do they buy now or do they wait? And we have a presidential election coming up in October also, which is also another X factor going forward, how to plan for the future.
2: Well, Corey, we will have to get you back on, talk in a little more detail about some of the other issues affecting Brazil. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And, folks, if you want to read Corey's writing, his website is brazilintl.com. Don't go away. There will be more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture
1: of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
6: A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Progressive Farmer knows unique content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me,
5: Sarah Mott, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts you'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts.
7: Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, The number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.
2: Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type two diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
4: The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
2: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA ladies and gentlemen, we are getting very close to the end of the year. There's a few hours left here in 2021. If you need to spend a little money on your business, there's some good technology out there to spend it on joining me now to walk us through some of that cool technology is Chad Colby. Chad is the tech advisor on this week in agribusiness and a avid fan of drones. Chad, how you doing?
10: Hey, I'm doing great, Mike. Great to hear from you.
2: Well, Chad, drone technology keeps improving. What models are you excited about right now?
10: Well, you know, out of the gate, so much has changed in the last 10, 12 years, and especially really in the last couple, when it, when in terms of how do I get started, what do I do? And there's a great little drone. There's a company called Flying Ag. They sell them. They're a reseller of them. Uh, the DJI Mini 2 is what it's called. It's basically the size. Honestly, Mike, you've seen it in person. It's the size of a Diet Coke. Weighs less than a Diet Coke. It also comes in at 249 grams of weight. That's important because you don't have to register that with the FAA when it's that light. Interesting. Um, but it but it has, you know, decent range, works on your smartphone. It's just a super handy drone, which which it does have some of the newer technology as far as auto takeoff, auto land. It does have some sonar to protect you from running into things. But most importantly, Mike. It's small, it's compact, and you can throw this thing up quick and easy to get that bird's eye view of your farm or ranch. Maybe you're checking cattle, especially in the winter weather. Obviously, when crops get planted here in the spring, it's an amazing scouting tool at under 800 bucks with a case all ready to go.
2: For a small drone like that, Chad, would it it be able to scout an entire field or would you use it more for spot checks?
10: No, that's a great question. You absolutely could use it for the whole field, and the reason why is our limits are 400 feet with the FAA as far as altitude goes. And if, you ta- if you're if you at a 160-acre field, and let's just say you're at mid part of the 160 on the headlands, it's really easy to throw that thing up to 400 feet. You're looking at the data right there on your smartphone. Snap a few pictures. My goodness, you can send them right to your crop advisor, your agronomist, your dad, your grandpa, whatever it might be, your insurance company. You can send it right from your phone. But most importantly, if you do see something on your phone that you're not comfortable with, maybe it's a flooded area or disease or in the cattle industry, maybe you're not sure what those two cows are doing over there. Well, simply, you just fly a little closer, drop a little lower, and then you can see it real easily.
2: So that's the baby DJI. But I understand, Chad, DJI also, DJI also released a kind of a rock star drone here recently.
10: Yeah, it's a it's about a two-year cycle, and they just released the new Mavic 3. And I'm really excited about it. It's in its infancy as far as uh, my use of it, because it just came out here in the last 60 days. We had it on our Christmas edition at This Week in Agribusiness just to kind of show people. But it's the real deal. 30-minute flight time. Certainly, you're buying a better camera. And it's going to be a lot of fun this year to use those better optics in that same setting, whether that's scouting or whatever it might be, inspection. It has all kinds of amazing capabilities.
2: What's the sticker on a drone like that?
10: So by the time you get a case and batteries and all the stuff, you're going to spend a little bit more money. Or that The entry-level one's under $800. This one's going to be around $3,500 by the time you equip it correctly. And uh, it's just a fantastic time because drones have moved moved way past hobbies there's more registered drones there's more registered pilots and there are real pilots in real airplanes so it's a it's a tool that's just not going to go away
2: that's a great point chad And when you think about the technology that's coming in 2022 next week you're gonna get a sneak peek at some of that stuff you're heading to ces in vegas what are you excited for
10: you know hold on all of it um you know being a being a tech geek if you would that's just the premium show in the world and there's some, there's some challenges with COVID, as we would all expect, but so far it's going to happen. There's a few vendors that have pulled out, but I'm just excited to see what's new. The thing about that show, which is extremely unique, is – 20 to 30 percent of the products that you see there will never make it to market they're so far out there so it'll be fun to uh your listeners will have to tune into this week in agribusiness to get a first-hand glimpse at some of the stuff that caught my eye but the one big thing that we do have to talk about mike is is john deere's got a display there again this year and i just hats off to them um in the ag space we all including the manufacturers need a better job of communicating what we do and how we do it and how sustainable we are and all the good things about agriculture and John Deere started this several years ago and they continue to do that And it's just really nice to see
2: yeah it's interesting CES of course the consumer electronics show we don't think of John Deere tractors as consumer electronics but Chad you've been out there before for this type of event how does the crowd react to the ag equipment on display.
10: Yeah, I've told this story many times. Um, They had a combine in their display the first year they were out there. And I want to say that was maybe four years ago now. And I'll never forget, um, this is a high-end show. Uh, You've got to pay a pretty substantial price to go to it. So it kind of weeds out the crowd, right? So a lot of professionals are there from all over the world. And I'm standing next to a combine. And two professional guys dressed to the nines walked up to the combine, which you could visibly see it had a corn head on it. There was video running. You could see it going through a field harvesting corn. And these two guys sat there for a good 20, 30 seconds trying to figure out what this machine is. And finally, I just walked up to him. I said, fellas, are you a little confused? And they said, no offense, but, but what is this? And they had absolutely no idea that it was a machine to harvest corn and that it was harvesting corn there and some video stuff. So I think the education part of it is pretty neat. Now, this year, John Deere is going to make some announcements for their customers and dealer base there that are pretty substantial about some of their autonomy programs they're working on. And you can bet, Mike, I'm pretty excited to see that. So I can't wait.
2: I'm sure you are. Chad, do we know what these announcements might look like or do they keep them under wraps until it's go Uh time?
10: Yeah, go check out JohnDeereGot.com. There's a bunch of teasers out there, but no, it's this thing's pretty tightly held, Mike. It's like any other uh, big venue. And remember, speaking of big venues, the, uh, the big farm show in Hanover, Germany, did get canceled because of COVID. It was going to be in March. Now it's in its regular time slot in November of 23. So I think John Deere's taking this opportunity to release to the public and to all their their agriculture users, some amazing new technology, and I can't wait. I'm going to be there live to see it.
2: Very cool, Chad. We're going to have to check in with you, get the update. And of course, you'll have your report on this week in agribusiness. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. You bet. And folks, thanks to all of you for tuning in. We certainly appreciate your listenership here on AOA. And from all of us, we want to wish you the very best in this new year. When we return in 2022 on Monday, we'll be talking with Jackie Fatka from Farm Progress with a policy update in Washington, D.C. And John Branick of DTN will join us to give us a peek at what this new year's weather might look like. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
7: Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at ALZ.org. You are not alone.